And thank you so much for coming out tonight. It is a tip show. It is August 21st. And there's a fair chance that you're going to hear some wind whipping in the distance. It is quite uh, a hot day here. And it's been a hot night. And we have something called Santa Ana's going on. Santa Ana is a kind of southwestern, I guess they exist elsewhere in the, in the world, but we grew up with them. No, you know, southwestern uh, gusts of wind uh, that are brought on by rapid heat changes as the day turns to night from uh, the ground uh, turning into it. And I always thought, well, that's kind of scary. But then I found out about these here fucking fire tornadoes that hit... Uh, that done took out a city of 135,000 people in America and nobody really talked about it because of all the other news going on. Uh, Durachos, I believe, is what we're going to call them, even though we shouldn't. Uh, but basically, lightning strikes are creating fires that create hurricane category two gale force winds sustained out of nowhere because you can see a hurricane coming but these are lightning storms that cause heat that's so extreme that they cause hurricane force wind out of nowhere really like you know a lightning storm might come but not one of these we don't really have good warning systems for them yet or maybe we do i did i mean again we're using a we're using a spanish word for a terminology in in modern ways and i haven't heard that since el nino uh i like why don't you just tell us what the phenomena is it's like no, no no if we say it in spanish we don't have to explain as much uh, so I think that's what's going on here with this, with this thing. I've only seen the word in print, Duracho, uh, and, uh, I didn't know those existed. So that's a windstorm that's created by fire. It's like a super Santa Ana. It's a lightning storm that's superheating and, and it creates, it's a windstorm that can kill you, that can destroy your house, that absolutely destroy Center Rapids, I believe they're called. The name of that city? I want to keep calling it Grand Rapids, but that's Michigan. It's like Central Rapids, Iowa, or some shit like that. Just got fucking... It's 135,000 people, the, the the city, and it just got slammed by these things. They were out of power for seven days straight. Some parts of the city, nine days straight. Some parts of the city still not on 11 days after the fact. The wind so extreme and sudden. Nobody preparing for it. And now hurricane season's about to start. Hurricane, of course... Is just when, like, a windstorm is coming from the fucking ocean, basically. That's the that's that's wind getting trapped in the ocean, going, I'm so fucking... Cedar Rapids, thank you so much, Linda. It's wind... A hurricane's basically wind just getting trapped. For one, a hurricane typhoon, same thing. Did you all know that? I didn't know that until fucking so recently. Fucking embarrassed me. Just one side... What side of the ocean it's on. That's it. Difference between a hurricane and a typhoon. So embarrassing. Anyway... So a hurricane or a typhoon, uh, just a wind, just the wind getting trapped over the ocean in a big old swirly vest going, I'm so fucking pissed off as soon as I see Florida, I swear to Christ, I can't get away from all of you. That's it. That's what a hurricane is, right? So it's a windstorm from fucking water. And that's, and that's what happened. So it's hurricane season for America for, for now, for a little while. 
And so, like, it's totally possible that a fire windstorm could be put out by a hurricane now that these things are going to become our new normal, Narachos. And I was all like, well, and a tornado is just a wind windstorm, right? Right? Like, that's a kind of a fire tornado and a water tornado. And a, a tornado is just wind deciding it's so mad it's going to touch the fucking ground and punch the earth. And I thought, that's like, that's three of the four classic elements that can spawn a tornado. And I thought, just kind of drifting off to sleep, like, that's kind of crazy that all these elements can cause a tornado except an earthquake. And I'm drifting off to sleep, and I'm drifting off to sleep, and then I suddenly wake up with a jolt. Holy shit! Did I just cause the first windstorm via hurricane? Oh, no! <laughs> did I just... Did I just bring that into it? Is the earth going to shake so hard in one spot that there's a windstorm in another? It's going to be like that shitty spot in Grand Central Station where you can whisper into one wall and they hear you in another. Hey, stand over there. Stand over there. If you whisper in this spot, you'll hear it over there. Go stand over there. Go stand over there. Ready? Ready? You're fucking ugly. You know, like, what do you... Like... <laughs> it's all the... It's all the... It's all the build-up. <laughs> it's all the build-up. And then none of the reward. There's, there's nothing good about it. If I predict, like, if it happens now, if an earthquake happens and then there's a freak windstorm immediately else, don't get mad at me. I didn't mean to be the Antichrist. So that was that was my big thinking for the week. That was my putting my thinking cap on. Um, I am trying so hard, harder than I ever have in my life, to not read political news. Like when I go on vacation, sometimes I have to limit myself to like an hour a day of, of political news if I'm really interested in the stories and shit. Sometimes... You know, I'll I'll be just fine, and I'll have no interest in the news stories that are going on. And then sometimes I'll go on vacation, and there'll be this news story. It's like, well, I have to find out more about that. And I have to limit myself. You get an hour a day that you can read the news. And I really like reading the news. I get a beer or whatever. I'm on a beach or whatever. I read the news for like one hour. It feels so good. And then I'm done. My timer goes off. Ah, I got to go back to vacation mode. But it feels good while I'm doing it. And I'm just kind of a constant... I'm not like a constant pinging guy or what have you. I don't doom scroll, thank Christ. I don't do any of that. But I do like to stay informed. And there's a number of stories that I, that I like to stay up on. And I always have. A lot of people say you're very smart to me when, when they mean you're very informed. And it can be difficult to know the difference sometimes when somebody's talking about something where, where they have subject matter knowledge and you don't. Uh, and I, I enjoy this about myself very much. I, I, I very much enjoy being called worldly or wordly or other W words. And I don't want that to change in any way. But I can't read lifestyle section shit uh, these days in 2020. <laughs> Re reading about the best risotto restaurant on the east side 
2020, uh, it's not doing it for me like it. Reading about what daring art is saying about the world we live in. You know, I, I, think I, ha I think I know what artists are saying about the world we live in right now. I don't actually think I need to hear any reviews of any galleries right now. I'm pretty sure I know what artists... Oh, think about the world we live in right now and the statements that they want to make. So, uh, we can skip past that. Okay, alright, alright, alright. Uh, so there's just not been a lot of keeping up on information, and then politics have just been, by and large, this year, just beyond the pale. Just really depressing for somebody. And I'm not gonna get too into my politics, because I really do want everybody just to have a good time. You know I'm left-leaning, and if I'm not, you know that's gonna drive you nuts. But here's the thing. If you're left-leaning, or you describe yourself as left-leaning, uh, especially as an American, I might be to the left of you. Uh, there's a pretty good fucking chance. And that's not a holier-than-thou thing. That's just very much a, that's who I am. It's not ever gonna change. I was told from the age of 10 to now, uh, that I was going to get more conservative, and I have only gotten more liberal. I have only, I, my definition of humanity and who must be saved and who must be destroyed have only all grown. It's actually quite intense. There used to be a time where you could say the words project for a new American century to me and I wouldn't turn into the Hulk. I would not just immediately, like, narrow my eyes and say, Who sent you, Shadow? What skinwalker are you? <laughs> yeah, sorry. There's a Shadow War on. Some of us fight them. The rest of you simply watch. Ugh. I'll get into it some other time. <laughs> it's a whole thing. You know, Gary and Neander, it was, uh, it was one of our battlegrounds. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, I don't really mean to get too far into it, but politics legitimately, at this point, uh, it just really feels like there's just no place for me to read or indulge uh, and there's no, there's no camp for me to sign up with, or, or what have you. Uh, this, this legitimately seems like a gag when I tell people this, but I'm dead serious. Like, it's at the point where, like, you know, I can't follow Nancy Pelosi on Twitter anymore, because I just can't deal with, like, the shit she's saying from vacation. Uh, it's like, yeah, that's, that's real nice of you to say from your perch. Uh... But down here, it's a little bit fucking scary. And so literally, like, I was going through tweets of, you know, pol politics, political tweets, or tweets that were, little, that were listed as political that I was with. And I found some gal. She had, like, 25 notes on her account. And her name is seriously. And her name is seriously. And her name is seriously. Something like Afro-Future Kill All White Boys. Not hyperbolically something like that. That's actually what it says. But I was like, but I agree with the political point she's making more than Nancy Pelosi. So I guess I, f I, guess I follow. I guess I'm with Afrofuture kill all white boys. Because at least she's talking this. Like, hopefully she'll kill me last if I like her tweets. Because that's just like the political reality that we like. I don't like, what do you want me to do? 
We're still on the same side, I guess. Afro, can I call you that? Probably not. <laughs> Almost certainly not. Uh. <laughs> it's just where we're at. That's just like, I, 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 listen, I'm not picky. I'll fight for a side as long as it's fighting for itself. I thought that's what we liked in this country. Why is every sports movie an underdog movie if you're all just gonna side with the fucking champ when it comes push to some? I don't understand. <sighs> oh, you don't were just pretending. God it. damn it. This is a bigger letdown than the Disney TV show Gummy Bears. Thematically and execution-wise. So... Just, I, I'm legitimately just trying to be open and and pursue the ways that I go and, and, of course, not yell and scream too much about it with you guys. But I just want to say I understand. I really understand if you're a woman, especially in America, why you have to vote Biden. Like, I understand why you may not ever want to but you have to just have to I, I understand it like that that feeling and that compulsion i don't understand what it's like to be a woman and i don't understand what it's like to feel like you're under attack for for your biological makeup for literally the the different robot and plumbing that you have from your neck down uh that is just always under political assault, and especially these days. I don't understand that portion of it. I don't. I do know what it means to be attacked for who you are, for just being there, and to be scapegoated, and to be told no matter what you do with your uh, body and your system that you're wrong, and that you're the enemy. Now that I do get, and that I do have a lifetime of experience with, and a lot of frustration, and I can't understand. So with everything going on right now, just just from a biological standpoint, I totally get why you have to uh, vote for Joe and pretend to be excited for his virtual convention, his weekend at Bernie's propped up on the fucking teleprompter Twitch stream. Ugh. I so wish he actually just, like, I so wish he actually just, like, tw like did it like a Twitch stream. That would have been fucking better than what we got, goddammit. <laughs> It's even more out of touch than that, than him trying to read fucking subs and lists and all that kind of thing. So I get it. I, 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 the party left me, and I, I, I'm to the left of the, of the party, but I, I'm not here to tell you what to do politically now or in the future. That's a full-time gig, and I would never want it, ever. Even if I could get my way, I don't want to be a political guru. I don't always want to have your fucking answers. I don't want you to come to me every time there's a political alert. That would be horrible. That's that's an awful, awful existence. That's what you, that's what happens if I become a head in a jar like Futurama and you bring me back. It's pretty much the only way that you can coax me into that one. No, thank you. I don't want to be your magic answer political genie. Ugh. That would be horrible. Do, do you see how evil and ugly it made James Carville and Mary Magdalene? They used to be people. They used to be people at one point before they got this demonic power. <laughs> no, I don't want to turn into that. Holy Christ! Ugh. All right, that was a pretty deep political reference, but just, you know, I gotta throw a little bit in there. Uh, 
I really, I don't, I don't want to be that guy for any of you, and I don't want to tell any of you what to do, and I'll just, at this point, just get angry and hostile. Uh, but this is all a bunch to say that, like, I can't believe from the bottom of my heart I can't believe after that fucking wind-up where some of you were worried, is he going to now say he's going to vote for Trump? Fuck no, I'm not. I can't believe after everything that I've witnessed in politics that Republicans are even crazier this year than when there's a whole stage of them. Really. I can't fucking believe that shit for a second. So let me just take you back a couple of fucking years to Clint Eastwood appearing at the Republican National Convention. And I was watching Clint Eastwood at the Republican National Convention back when I would watch all of these things. I would just let the stream play. And, boy, Republicans like the phrase cognitive decline th these days. So let's just say a cognitively declining before our eyes, Clint Eastwood, was on stage. And he's talking to an empty chair that he's referencing as Mr. President, and then after a few bits, we realize, oh, we're supposed, like he's an actor in a monologue in a black box, he didn't set this up. We're supposed to know that the chair is Mr. Obama, the president. So I guess this is only 2012. Is this only 2012? Holy shit, this feels so long ago. Oh my God, but it must have been 2012 since Obama was the president. It must have been Mitt Romney. Oh my God, this feels like 2000. I thought this was John McCain, but he calls the chair Mr. President. So it must be 2012. Ugh! Only eight years ago? I've come so far in eight years! Holy shit, get out of your depression, you piece of shit. You've come so far in eight years. All right, all right. So anyways, don't make it about me. Don't Clint Eastwood this. All right. <laughs> wow, that really does feel like I'm looking at me on Mars or like I'm looking at me in a video game or some shit when I look back at me at that point in my life. There's no great knight in that dude whatsoever, and now there's almost no jack left one at all. Oh, the evil has fucking transpired, baby. All right. <laughs> so Clint Eastwood is yelling at this fucking chair. He's basically the keynote speaker. Like, yeah, 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 Mitt Romney is technically the keynote at this fucking thing, but... Whenever they have a conservative who's remotely a name, remotely willing to put themselves forward, because, like, Chris Pratt is apparently a super Trump guy, but he's not willing to actually say that part out loud on his Instagram. He's just willing to go so far as to be all like, well, God says Joe Biden's a queer. I, I shouldn't have said that, but, like... <laughs> Well, I mean, Chris Pratt, just, like, read between the lines. Look at the church that he's in, all right? Like, Chris Pratt is just a hundred fucking percent not cool with people being gay. And by people, I mean dudes. And by gay, I mean having man-on-man -man sex. Like, it's just so apparent. Like, it broke my heart, too. But, like, Chris Pratt, if you walk his Instagram, he's all like, God told me to eat, to raise this cow and eat it and uh, go to his church, so that's what I'm going to do. And I'm like, there's nobody who does all those rules unless they're jumping through at least a couple of hoops to flip off other people. 
better not them. There's just nobody who's living that exclusionary of a fucking life unless they're, at the end of it, their God's like, okay, by the way, you could, like, it's just like Mike Pence, right? Mike Pence just said to get us a little bit back, stop Clint Eastwooding this, dude, just to get us a little bit back on track. Mike Pence, who is not a dumb man, just an evil man, Mike Pence actually said out loud, if Joe Biden was elected, more Americans would be dead of uh, COVID. Now, Mike Pence knows that's a lie. <laughs> and Mike Pence absolutely positively knows that that's a fucking lie. But he's doing it for Jesus, so it's okay. <laughs> I don't understand how that works. Ethical, religious, moral people who judge the shit out of me for being a sex worker all day, every day. But apparently, once you level up enough in the church or whatever, you get to just straight shank people for JC and it still gets to count as a good act. It's fucking crazy. I don't understand. I lied for Jesus all the time, and I just got in trouble. Of course I read that Bible verse. I didn't steal that money from the golden plate. What are you talking about? Like, I leveled up for Jesus. I lied for Jesus all the time. I only got in trouble because I wasn't a high enough level, right? I wasn't, I didn't have enough holy points to use those points. Like, you gotta, you gotta not have sex 1,000 times with women who are not named mother, who are your wife, before you gain enough, like, crusade points to start whipping out these fucking moves. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, these are not... That's Mike Pence, before before he says something like that, he looks right into, some, into the reporter's eyes, and he's like, parry this, you fucking casual. Right? Because he knows. He knows that the reporter's got nothing that they could possibly pull out to defend against. So, what?! So you can just lie, and it's just really nice. So Clint Eastwood's yelling at a chair. God damn it. Eight years ago, he's yelling at it. It's only eight fucking years ago. He's yelling at a chair, and we're supposed to discern, just like you're supposed to get something from my wild, unwieldy monologues, that, that god damn it, the chair is Obama, and he's referring to the fucking chair as the president, the man, and the president, the thanks Obama meme, essentially. He's also all the problems that have happened under his administration. He's also, is all of it. It's very allegorical. It's very high-level concept, Clint Eastwood. And at one point, the chair starts winning the debate. Now, you have to go back and you have to watch this, but at one point, the empty chair starts kind of stumping Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood's at the beginning. Like, Clint Eastwood's got him on the rails for the first minute or so. But eventually, Clint Eastwood's like, oh, what'd you say? What was that? Oh, I... Uh, 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 <laughs> it's like, oh, the chair got a zinger in, did it? Okay, interesting. I didn't, I didn't think that was scripted. This is some great KFAB, Clint Eastwood. You're not losing your fucking mind. <laughs> and I just I thought while watching Clint Eastwood losing to a chair that had nobody in it on national TV as the keynote speaker I thought I thought to myself I actually wrote somebody in my life this is the weirdest politics is ever going to be this is it this is the weirdest politics is ever going to be right now So we could just skip 2016. I think we could all just skip the killer clown year, right? Remember that? 
Remember when clowns were trying to kill people? Good times. Good fucking times. Remember when, remember when the worst thing you had to worry about when you were, like, leaving the house was just to check for a little clownage? Alkalon days. <laughs> so we can skip 2016, but just real quick, just real quick, because in the chaos that was 2016, everybody remembers Trump versus Clinton, but in the chaos of a bunch of Republicans on stage, at one point, four different men, all above the age of 35, all above the height of at least 5'11", I think probably six feet, no matter how much they lie or padded. Four men on a Republican stage had an argument about dick size. About dick size during a presidential debate. Four men talked about, like, if it was okay to call people's hands small, and why Donald Trump was calling people small, and why it was little Marco, and... One of them said, like, I've got no problems, and the other one's got, I've got less than no problems. And then the crowd's like, Woohoo! So just just as a point of how crazy Republicans were four years ago, to to one up, Clint Eastwood debating a chair that had nobody in it and losing. There was there was the dick off, there was the great dickening, and one of those four one of those four men went on to be a president. Two of them went on to go and be senators. Just to be clear, that was the punishment for talking about the size of their dicks on stage. They were rewarded with national political careers. Oh, and also a different guy who wasn't involved in that body slammed a reporter on tape. And everybody saw it and heard it, and still nobody gives a shit. Okay, so anyways, so that's just 2016, super fucking quick. <laughs> so I kind of thought, like, okay, that's, you know, that's a crazy year in politics. And I just did the Mike Pence shanking for Jesus thing, which is out there. But really, <clears throat> Republican politics are, even though I'm reading so little, are even crazier now than ever before. It has gotten to the point where there's no Republican position left that anybody fucking wants to talk about or feel good about at all. Besides, oh yeah, well at least we're taking down a shadow cabal of child sex slave owners. And that's it. That's it. There's nothing else that anybody in the entire fucking right side of American politics is excited about as far as I can tell than a conspiracy theory. That's it. And I know that talking about it isn't fun or sexy, which is why I'm doing it at the beginning of a show. <laughs> I understand. Talking about this topic is very taboo. But here's the thing. That's why they use it. That's why they do it. You understand that it automatically puts you on the defensive? I'm dead serious. It's both crazy and super hostile, both at the same time. It's the E4, that's a chess reference, of the political opening world. It's very, very, very fucking aggressive. Because, of course, nobody's against it. <laughs> There's no political party in the world that says we're for human trafficking, so long as it's for 
the rich, and if it's child sex slaves. I got into a little bit of this on the tip show answer, but I gotta talk about this because it's blowing my fucking mind. Because people keep going, I don't understand it. Why do they keep talking about this? Why is it going so great? Ah, okay. So let's 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 pull it back a little, because because I began this just real quick on politics has been crazy for a while. Here's why someone like me feels like they have no home in American politics, whereas they would very happily in other political countries and parties, especially parliamentary democracies. The reason being is. There wasn't a question before the year 2000 on if climate change was happening. Wasn't a single question. There was no question in the scientific literature up until the year 2000. In fact, in the 90s, it was very commonly understood in the American psyche that climate change happened to Mars. That Mars used to be this lush, Beautiful planet, likely, and that something happened, and that they had massive climate change. And then when we found life on Mars, microbial life on Mars, when it was the first life discovered outside Earth, we found that on there, it reinforced it. And we had all these discussions again as a country about Mars having a climate. Could have been a lush one like Earth, it could have been a terror-like one, probably not. We've learned since, probably very light kind of atmosphere, very kind of proto-atmosphere. But still, it happened and then it's dead. Now it's gone. We understood that. But then Republicans started saying, Nah, nah, not real. Republican leaders, media, what have you, just started going, not real. There's no climate change. It's not real. Not Men aren't doing it. They just went, nah. But climate change really started to manifest in the early 2000s in America. Elsewhere in the world, sure, already seeing signs, but they don't count to us. We don't count to us as we're learning. So it took until stuff like Katrina. It took until a lot of natural disasters where a lot of scientists were finally willing to get up on a soapbox in front of a camera and say, this is worse because of climate change. These storms are worse because of climate change. But what was heard was these storms are worse. And what conservative media is very, very good at doing is taking, this is Grover Norquist 101, taking your weakness and making it a strength. Oh, is this an issue we're weak on, Republicans, climate change? We're weak on these bigger, scary, that's what's getting all the media attention. Climate change doesn't fucking matter to these people at all. But bigger, scarier storms? Well, that sucks. They're scared of that, and that hurts our position. How do we turn that into a strength? And somebody somewhere so insidiously, so brilliantly, and I don't know who they are. I can't name them like I can Grover Norquist. But somebody, some Republican strategist came up with the most insidious two birds with one stone strategy. I call the big gay storm. What's the big gay storm? A simple repetition, a simple repetition 
gay marriage is causing these disasters. That's it. But repeat it over and over and over again. Gay marriage is causing these storms to get worse. Now hang on to your hats if that pisses you off, because this is, we really got to get through a tunnel here. Americans have collectively forgot that this ever happened. But from middle to late 2000s, up until early 2010s, Republicans were banging the drum after every single natural disaster, saying God was getting more vengeful and angry and killing and hurting more of us because we were allowing gay marriage to happen here. Doesn't matter if it's been happening effectively. Gay marriage or gay unionization in Sweden in 79, or Ted Mugs in 81, or Canada's in 97. Letting it happen here. Letting it happen here. Yeah, God loves this country. He doesn't love those countries. So God will kill you and destroy your community if you let gay marriage happen. And frankly, they stopped that drumbeat down before the end uh, of its natural recourse. By 2012, by the, by the, by the uh, Clint Eastwood election, uh, they really are kind of putting the kibosh on that. And of course, the Supreme Court decision uh, ends it completely. There's no more big gay storm. But that's not what should make you mad that they did it. Because they're just going to keep doing that. I'm sorry, ladies. That's just the gay marriage version of, well, what was she wearing? Question about asking a woman with a sexual assault. So don't let that get you, don't let you, don't let that get you mad. That's just the pull yourself up by your own bootstraps version of victim blaming that they're so good at, period. What you need to be fucking furious about is that we allowed them to forget it, to sweep it under the rug. Because now they've gone back to, guys, they went from God is killing Americans because he's so mad at us for letting gay people uh, marry, to climate change isn't happening. It's just not happening. And that needs to fucking piss you off more than anything. Because they didn't even have any fucking conviction about the gay marriage political football. None. None. Don't get mad. Don't, I speak on behalf of gay men, which I, know, which I absolutely should not do. Gay men know exactly how Americans feel about them, okay? Don't get mad for them. They understand exactly the fucking pecking order that they were put into politically, economically. They understand exactly the lines that they were put under better than anybody else. Don't get mad about that for them. Get mad about the fact that they used it as an excuse for no reason. They were just there. They were just there. Ah, now they're fine. Now we just don't talk about it. We talk about it at our rallies and we talk about it at our cons and what have you, but eh. And that's what's got to get you. When 
the nature of reality is these storms are happening. These storms are happening for this reason. This storm is happening for some reason you can stop. And then the next minute when that's no longer convenient, they go, these storms aren't happening. It's, it's not happening. That's that's people gaslighting you with reality. That's somebody going through such internal contortions that they need to subject you to that version just so that they don't feel panic and anxiety and doubt and pain. And it's awful. And I say that so that you have the framework of this never stopped happening. I took you on that issue for the last 20 years because whatever the Republican collective stance needed to be, it is, as soon as they say it. Climate change isn't happening. Climate change is happening, but it's not a big deal. Oh, I thought you were calling it global cooling a couple of decades ago. <laughs> oh, it's gay people causing it. And if we let gay people get married, it's going to get so much worse. See, it's getting so much worse. It's getting so much worse because you're letting gay people get married. It's getting... Oh, they voted... All right, well, uh, oh, the Supreme Court... Well, then... Listen. Climate change isn't happening. It's a liberal conspiracy. Shut up about the gay people. Who cares? They can get married now. Liber I'm a libertarian. I, that's what I always believed. The government shouldn't even have been involved. But, like, the hurricanes weren't even bad last year. You're saying the hurricanes were bad last year? Climate change isn't even happening. There you go. That is the Republican stance on climate change, collectively, from the leadership down for the last 20 years. Reality means absolutely fucking nothing. Nothing. And so that's bad when it's climate change, when it affects us all. And we can see it there, when it's anti-evolution. We can see it. We can see its effects. We can see it. I really got to bring this up, that we are at a political moment where getting your jollies off about this cabal, this shadow cabal that you're fighting as a freedom fighter and that other people who you disagree with are all in on, and they're just too dumb to see if that's where the contortion of reality is, their demarcation of this is what the true believers believe and damn the rest, I don't really know where you go further than that. Because when you talk about, like, historically speaking, people who make the others villains, like drugs and guns, they already say we run and do those all the time. Uh, killing of children? Yeah, they kind of accuse us of that all the time. Uh, so like all the other stuff that you use to say that a people need to be wiped from the face of the earth, they kind of say it all the time, and they don't even say it nearly as loudly or crazily as this. I promise, I told you, it's going to be a fucking intense show, and we've got so many requests to get through. Uh, and I just want to put that out there, really put that out there, because never in my life have I ever seen so many people so actively and so fervently share a delusion? You can make a lot of jokes and you can make a lot of sniffles about religion or like a, the Republican body politique or what have you. But if so many people are so eager to jump onto something, I ask the exact same question when I see riots and looting. 
as I do when I see this kind of collective uh, mythologizing storytelling. The exact same question, which is, why are so many people so eager to say that I've got nothing to lose and jump on this train so quick? Can only happen if that's the mindset, that's the belief. So many people in a small area right there say, I've got nothing left to lose. That's what happens. That's, that's the only way this thing catches fire. And I just want you to be aware that there's that many people out there who would choose a crazy, crazy, horrible reality because it's comforting to them, because anger feels like control, he said from experience, than what's actually going on. And I get that. I really do. Because some days, especially when I think about the as-of-yet-to-appear earthquake tornado, the Earthnado, a sci-fi original movie, I also want to choose some crazy conspiracy or just some version of reality where everything's not scary and bad. Alas, this is the one that we've got. And so instead, I'm just doing my best to make peace with tea and petting the cat and filling my time with things other than the news. And because the news is just kind of so crazy right now, I gotta say, it definitely feels like the right choice. So I know that there was a big ramp up there, and I know I talked about politics pretty passionately, but I, I did have to give my perspective, and I did have to go through it, because not talking about the world we're in, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm hoping that talking about at least a little bit in the context of it's, it's fucked, but it's not more fucked than it's been. Well, that's pretty much my way of going forward. I can make a lot of jokes about it. And I tried to in the tip show when I talked about it because it really bothers me. I suppose it's really bothered me all of my life that I've always been accused of... of, of being a merc in some shadow army, whether it be George Soros's or the Jews or... Did you, did you know that there was a lesbian and gay agenda to destroy America? Because <laughs> there wasn't. Back, back when I was a part of it, there might be fucking now, and I might be on fucking board with it these days, but there wasn't. Every time I heard about the lesbian and gay agenda to destroy America, I just thought, like, <laughs> what is it? I keep going to these meetings. I keep hearing the agenda. It's mostly picketing. It's mostly bake sales. It's mostly talking about how to get things on ballots. That's the agenda. <laughs> you tell me how to hear I'm supposed to destroy the whole fucking thing by going there, and sure, why not? Why not? I'm a little confused. It's not the same people in the same rooms, is it? Because I gotta say, this is not the this is not the pirate crew for that goddamn rig. I gotta tell you right now. 
But, uh, you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm open. <laughs> get equal rights. Oh, I wish. Somebody said the lesbian gay agenda was get equal rights. No, not when I joined it. It really was like, try, try and get somebody to be able to speak in front of the city council where they don't get booed if we fill enough of the seats. It was, it was a little, it was a little bit smaller scale than get equal, yeah, <laughs> I mean, at the top of the list, sure, equal rights were, were on the agenda, I suppose, but the agenda of the week to week was not like, okay, minutes, all right, so we call this, we call this meeting of chapter 281 of the gay and lesbian agenda, of the gay and lesbian alliance, whoops, let it slip again, uh, number one, of course, equal rights, number two, uh, of course, uh, we mean marriage. I wish. That'd be awesome. <laughs> gay marriage. If you even said the words gay fucking marriage, uh, at one of these meetings, you would have been laughed out of it, especially if you were straight. Oh my god. You know, we were called, we were still, we were still like, we're, we're going, union, unions polls better. Civil unions polls just like 8% better. Like there's just no even reason to push it right now. You just, just go with union. <laughs> Partner and union. All right, people, please. <laughs> There's the GLA. I promise you in real life. Okay, I'll get off this. People don't know when I'm being loving if, I'm the, if I was the person in the room. I appreciate that very much. Um, I, I've always been accused of fighting for the wrong side pretty much my entire life. And I made peace with it a long, long, long time ago. When that's your every day, <laughs> that's your every day, and you kind of learn to accept it. If you're wondering how the hyper flamboyant, and I don't mean this word in a sexual context, like vagrant, who's, like, wearing a trench coat and, like, got a cane and, like, they're vagrant, but, like, they own it and they're walking along and you know they're not mentally ill and shit. You've seen that person in your town. You're going to see a lot more of them soon. And you're wondering, like, how did they get there? And the answer is just constantly the world just constantly coming up to them and saying you're a piece of fucking disgusting shit and it'd be better if you were dead. Eventually, you, you hear that enough times, you just go, well, fuck you too. It stops being surprising. That sounds like the most horror. That sounds like everybody else's nightmare that somebody else is going to pull them on the street and go, I see who you are. You're really ugly. You're really pathetic. You're really a piece of shit. But like, if you actually get that from society, from every room you're ever in, you go, you're fucking right. I'm going to fucking work. What's your fucking problem? How's it feel? Huh? Is that what you wanted? Your nightmare is my everyday. So, getting there, getting to the point that it's just, it's just so, it's just so tiring trying to stick up for your reality, knowing that everybody else is living in a different one. I've kind of given up on it. I kind of have already just checked out. I saw a dude in Melbourne who put up Christmas lights. It's confirmed they weren't Christmas lights he left up all year and then plugged back in. If you don't know about Melbourne, Australia, it's the part of Australia that keeps getting locked down the most. 
and he put up full Christmas lights on his house, and I was just like, got it. Understand it. I kind of just want to check out, too. Like, if I could press a button and have all the Grey Knight work done and just not have to be conscious for it, and I could just sit on a beach drinking beer for the rest of the year without any issues, you telling me I shouldn't press... Like, you get your work out of me. I get to drink peach on a beer. You know what I mean. Of course I want to press that button. And, and putting up Christmas lights is the closest you can to actually doing that shit. So, God, am I with him? But you can't check out all the way just yet. And this is coming from a guy who's pretty checked out right now. More checked out on the news than he's ever been. More checked out on keeping in touch than he's ever been. Giving himself all kind of uh, grace. There we go. From uh, the tip show. On those fronts. Coming from that guy, even. You gotta be aware that people are actively, aggressively choosing a hostile non-reality that is making you an antagonist. Just for existing. Because your existence doesn't comply, and therefore it is read as opposition. And... There is a disturbingly large amount of them because there's just nothing else for them to rally around besides conspiracy, accusation, skittering shadows. That's all they've got. There's just a total divorce in every bit of information they get from good information in reality. And it's just... It's going to be hard. There might be some fucking Earth NATOs coming up. We really don't know. You think you know it's coming until a year like 2020 shows up. But no matter what, with all the chaos and with everything else, I just want you to tell you that you get to keep sane. You get to do what you need to do for you in your mental health game. With everything that's going on out there, that's the ultimate point of it. I'm bringing it up because I've got to be true to me. In the exact same way, I really don't like what happened to me after I spoke my truths about COVID. I, uh, I still would, again. I got to speak my truth now. And my truth is, for the rest of the year... There's going to be a lot of fatigue. A lot of fatigue. I think many people were simply underestimating how long durance the crazy period would last. Or they thought that it was going to get over and it was going to be easy. Uh, a lot of people think it's already ended and we're going to have to pull them back. And that's going to be real bad. That's not going to be pleasant. I know you know them in your own life. You try and get that fucking cake frosting back in the tube <laughs> once you've squeezed it out. Because that's where it's got to go. <laughs> There's only one place for it right now. So take care of yourself. Really. Try and find people who... It doesn't matter if they disagree with you or you disagree with them. 
can hear the fucking wind getting worse and worse. It's so ominous, these Santa Anas. I've never experienced anything like them. Uh, you just have to take care of yourself. This is how I take care of me. Being regular, signing myself up for stuff, making sure I'm actually accountable when I can get a free pass. Reading less news, balancing junk food, and eating pretty good. Trying, trying to, trying to get the small things where I can. Making my first purchase off Amazon all year and the year before, because I was going to be stuck indoors for a while. Planning on all kinds of moves and everything else. This is. This is how I've been taking care of me and trying to make progress in this very, 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 very upsetting time. And there's more ahead, and that's okay. You've gotten through this crazy period, and you're going to get through a more crazy period. And at the end of it, I don't know if you'll be grateful. I don't know if you'll feel fortunate. I don't know what you'll feel at all. Maybe anger, maybe animosity. But getting through it and getting to the other side of this crazy period with any kind of self-dignity or self-love or self-respect, whatever you choose, do it. Dig into it. Expand it. Because you will find it self-rewarding on the other side. As somebody who is just the right age to have gone through, uh, this is now my fourth economic crisis. Because dot com, nine eleven. I worked in hospitality, two thousand eight, and now this one. I got to experience this four times now. Uh, weirder times are ahead. You are stronger than them. Uh, I know I'm being a little bit repetitious at this point. I've got the notes here, and this is what's underscored. So I guess this is what's really important to me. People are going to accuse you of things just to get past their day because the framework of their head will simply allow them to do so. And some of you love somebody, love somebody who will not put on a mask. Just won't do it. No good fucking reason whatsoever. And I'm not asking you to turn off that love. I'm asking you to, if any way, obey it and try to make peace with it. And I'm so bad at this. I really am. So do it for me. The way that I do it is I care for myself. I make projects. I make accountability. And I go through it. One way or another. That's my, that's my process. Left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. I don't know any other way. Whatever your process is, however you get through it, you know it, it's for you. No two people step foot in the same river. The river is not the same and they are not the same steps. So you will take yours. Don't listen to mine and base it on me or anything like that. Before we begin the show, long show tonight. Before we begin the show and all of the readings and get really, really into it. One more time. It is actually getting crazier. You are actually noticing more people choose 
off-ramps from reality, if you're staying plugged in and on, and maybe you're one of them from time to time, although you're not taking nearly the same scenic fucking detours as these yahoos. And all of it is okay. You feeling like people are against you? A-okay. You feeling like there is a conspiracy sometimes, and that it's just madness? A lot of people are with you, and are going in and out of that feeling all day. You feel like you're not enough, or you feel like everybody else is on some kind of page? Absolutely everybody feels that way. You feel like it would be just so much easier to give up and... Absolutely. I don't know what your and is, but it's kind of scary. It doesn't matter what your and is, because it follows give up. And I promise to always be honest with you, as honest as I'm fucking allowed to be with myself. So of course, there's an and. But of course I'm here to tell you that that's not really an option. That giving up, that giving in, that not allowing yourself to experience what you're experiencing, good, bad, or in between, because you're allowed to be so happy right now. Somebody out there is finding the love of their life right now. Somebody out there somehow is getting their dream job. They're allowed to be happy. We don't get to resent them. We have to try and be them. Happiness comes from making some acceptance and some concessions with where you are in reality and bridging it to where you want to be. Yeah? So I ask you that you make those concessions where you can. Take the off-rep. Drive around in a fantasy land where everything's okay. Talk to your favorite talk show host as you are a movie star in this reality, explaining the absolute absurdity of the situation to them. And then come back to us when, when it's your time, when you're ready. Because if you agreed with what I said earlier about empty chairs and big gay storms, then I need you. <laughs> and I'm not the only one. If you're the kind of person who didn't want to put a mask on and got convinced of it, oh, good golly. Am I so very grateful for you? And do I think you have so much more than that ahead? Okay, thank you very, very much for that. Uh, I know it was very political. I know it was uh, going off all kinds of rails. Oh, my. But the world is strange. And when the world is strange, sometimes you need a very strange man to make some sense of it. So, oh, that's almost perfect. That's like a whole hour of bullshit. We can just kind of like pat it out a little bit. Here we go. Meow, 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 meow. Oh, Kitty's locked up. She's not going to do it. She's not going to meow. Well, I just wanted to pat it out so that Allie's notes would be great. Allie's notes this week. Uh, the podcast begins an hour in. Here's a link. Don't listen to the first hour. <laughs> I make Allie do that every week now because you guys requested it, and it's really nice. I agree. Or like she divides the tip show up with this is where this part begins, this part where that, that part begins. She does all that because she's great to us. Uh, 
And on a night like tonight, I'm always wondering, like, where the f- what the fuck do you call that segment at the beginning? All right, so we've got a lot of poetry tonight, and I <laughs> we've got a lot of poetry tonight, and uh, I do want to get through it. I really appreciate everybody who requested something. <clears throat> Let's go. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and you want to smile but you have to sigh, when your care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but do not quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, and every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure comes about when he might have won and had stuck it out. Don't give up, though. The pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you can never tell just how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when you're hardest hit, and when things seem worst, that you must not. Don't quit. John Greenleaf Whittier. Whittier. Well, that lined up pretty nicely with what I said before, so. Without a word, you part me from my shirt. Fingers sliding between my skin and jeans. Talk first, I ask, nervous, unsure emphatically aroused about a demure grin kissed reply smoldering eyes afire tell me what you like i prompt pulling your hand against my lips you just blush looking down chocolate waves of soft hair your coarse smile turning nervous come here i'll show you in my lap now face to face barely inches away the curve of your mouth confounding me with an inviting glimpse to press your tongue behind your teeth tempting irresistible i relent my surrender my lips to yours slow smoky kisses my words forgotten for the moment in the warmth of your tongue i'll go first I breathe the words over delicate curves, my mouth at your ear around my neck encircling me. Your arms tighten as my lips find your secret spots. Your hips press against me in sympathetic ardor, caressing in slow rhythmic pulses in time to your breathing. I want to go down on you, I whisper. After a moment of shy hesitation, my lips brushing your ear with each word, I was too unsure of your response to say that while I was looking in your eyes for a sole moment, stilled, surprised, in silent hesitation, your lips, your hips, give pause for two breaths. Resuming their canes, more insistent now, trembling against me, my mouth covers your neck in a tapestry of kisses, your skin filling my senses with the scent of vanilla. You're unsure. You ask, in a whispered sigh, enkindling me, a glowing ember in the heat of your words, between your quickening breaths, guided by passions, streaked and shot through with flames. God, yes, I answer, my lips still touching your neck, hot pounding, blood racing, in languid amounts, I am breathless before your tabernacle, 
orchid soft against my kisses, a beauty without equal. In no run I lose myself in your uneven breathing, to the tightening of your belly, in the gasp of a shiver, my hands beneath your hips, sheets gripped in your not white-knuckled fists. I want to feel you come, warm against my tongue, closer and closer, some deep part of you, primal, wild, and beautiful, fears a faltering rhythm as you twine your fingers in my hair, urging me against you on waves of rising momentum, escalating past fears, unfounded. I know this river well, and I take you gently, firmly past rapids, past shallows, to a grand cascading waterfall, holding the crest as the raging current entreats us in buffeting waves, to join in meltwater drop drenched in release. Oh, my. Your words press through clenched teeth and grasping breasts while your leg tremors like a prayer to St. Vitus. The crest is broken, and I am embraced by the grip of your blushing thighs, my senses wrapped in your taste, smell, touch, sight, my hearing filling with you ecstatic sights, unleashed, then growing slowly more quiet in diminished waves spent in seeking the shore. In tangled sheets we sprawl, immediate appetites appeased, you naked and glistening, trembling from aftershocks, me in reverie, still tasting you like honeysuckle on my lips. A few moments later, and you're eyeing me with that coy smile, laying there on your belly, face half hidden by your pillow. I caress your freckle speckled skin with the tip of my fingers, from your shoulder down to the arch of your back to linger among your graceful curves. At this sweeping brush across your clandestine beauty, your eyes close, while your lips part with a captive breath, your hips rhythmically pressing small sultry waves against the bed. Come here, you demand with the crook of your finger. Your smoldering eyes brook no argument. Warm against my tongue, by H. Houston. Whew, sip of water after that. <clears throat> Sometimes, if you move carefully through the forest, breathing like the ones in the old stories who could cross a shimmering bed of leaves without a sound, you come to a place whose only task is to trouble you with tiny but frightening requests, conceived out of nowhere but in the place beginning to lead everywhere. Request to stop what you're doing right now, and to stop what you're becoming while you do it. Questions that can make and unmake a life. Questions that have patiently waited for you. Questions that have no right to go away. Sometimes by David White, W-H-Y-T-E. As I ebbed with the ocean of life, as I wended the shores I know, as I walked where the ripples continually wash you, palm oak, 
where they rustle up hoarse and sibilant, where the fierce old mother endlessly cries for her castaways, I musing late in the autumn day, gazing off southward, held by the electric self of my pride of which I utter poems, was seized by the spirit that traits in the lines underfoot, the rim, the sediment that stands for all the water and all the land of the globe. Fascinated, my eyes reverted from the south, drooped to follow the slender windrows, chaff, straw, splinters of wood, weeds in the sea gluten, scum, scales from the shining rocks, leaves of the salt lettuce left by the tide, miles walking by the sound of breaking waves or the other side of me, Pomanook was there, and then I thought of the old thought of likeness, these you presented me to your fish-shaped island, as I winded the shores I know, as I walked with the electric self-seeking types. As I wend the shores I know not, as I list to the dirge, the voices of men and women wrecked, as I inhale the impalpable breezes that set in upon me as the ocean so mysterious rolls towards me closer and closer, I too but significant, at an utmost little washed-up drift, a few sands of dead leaves to gather, gather, and merge myself as part of the sands, and drift. O oh, baffled, balked, bent to the very earth, oppressed myself that I have dared to open my mouth, aware now amid the blab whose echoes recoil upon me, I have not once had the least idea who or what I am. But that before all my arrogant poems the real me stands yet untouched, untold, altogether unreached. Withdrawn far, mocking me with mock congratulatory signs and bows, with peals of distant ironical laughter at every word I have ever written, pointing in silence to these songs and then to the sand beneath. I perceive I have not really understood anything, not a single object, and that no man ever can. Nature here in sight of the sea taking advantage of me to dart upon me and sting me, because I have dared to open my mouth and sing at all. You oceans both, I close with you. We murmur alike reproachfully, rolling sands and drifts, knowing not why. These little shreds indeed standing for you and me and all, your friable shore with trails of debris, your fish-shaped island, I take what is underfoot. What is yours is mine, my father. I too, Pamanuk, I too have bubbled up, floated the measureless float, and been washed on your shores. I too am but a trail of drift and debris. I too leave little wrecks upon you, you fish-shaped island. I throw myself upon your breast, my father. I cling to you so that you cannot unloose me. I hold you so firm till you answer me something. Kiss me, my father. Touch me with your lips as I touch those I love. Breathe to me while I hold you close the secret of murmuring I envy. Ebb, ocean of life, the flow will return.
Cease not your moaning and your fierce old mother. Endless cry for your castaways, but fear not. Deny not me. Rustle not up so hoarse and angry against my feet as I touch you or gather from you. I mean tenderly by you and all. I gather for myself for all this phantom looking down where we lead and following me and mine. Me and mine, loose windows, little corpses, froth snowy white and bubbles. See from my dead lips the ooze exuding at last. See the prismatic colors glistening and rolling. Tufts of straw, sand, fragments buoyed hither from my many moons, one contradicting another. From the storm, the long calm, the darkness, the swell, musing, pondering, a breath, a briny tear, a dab of liquid or soil, up just as much out of fathomless working, fermented and thrown, a limp blossom or two, torn, just as much over waves floating, drifting at random, just as much for us that sobbing dirge of nature, just as much whence we come from Blair." Of the cloud trumpets, we capricious, brought hither, we know not whence spread out before you, you up there walking or sitting, whoever you are, we too lie in the drifts at your feet. As I ebbed with the ocean of life, Walt Whitman. Boy, we're we're really going up and down the poetry roller coaster, aren't we? <clears throat> Hi, lady. To be less unworthy of the gift of your immense courtesy at first, my lonely mind tricked wholeheartedly to reprecate itself in kind. Knowing that my own powers can make no headway in achieving such a goal, I ask your forgiveness at my boldness, so that my fault grow constantly wiser. I see clearly how wrong my belief is, that my fleetings are frail acts and can match your divine grace raining down on me. Mind, skill, and memory give way, mortal as I am. I can't repay your heavenly gift, not even if I tried one thousand times. Sonnet for Victoria Colonna by Michelangelo, ooh, I'm going to go with Boyonarti, B-U-O-N-A-R-R-O-T-I, Boronati, Boronati, how can you say it's Boronati, it's Boronati, 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 that's a fun one, I'll have the pasta alla Boronati. <laughs> all names are just all food is just named after somebody but Italian food does seem like it can be named after every Italian name you've not heard before <laughs> this is not love perhaps love that lays down its life that many waters cannot quench nor the floods drown but something written in lighter ink, said in a lower tone, something perhaps, especially our own. 
a need at times to be together and talk, and then the finding we can walk. More firmly, though, dark and narrow places, and meet more easily nightmare faces, and need to reach out, sometimes hand to hand, and then find earth less like an alien land, a need for alliance to defeat the whispers at the corner of the street. A need for inns on roads and islands on seas, halts for discoveries to be shared, maps checked, notes compared, a need at times for each, for each, direct as the need of the throat and the tongue for speech. Not love, perhaps. Arthur Seymour John Tessamond I'm pretty sure if you enter in any spelling, as long as you enter in those four words, you'll get him, so. <clears throat> when two souls fall in love, there is nothing else but the yearning to be close to the other, the presence that is felt through hand and held, a voice heard, or a smile seen. Souls do not have calendars or clocks, nor do they understand the notion of time or distance. They only know it feels right to be with one another. This is the reason why you miss someone so much when they are not there, even if they are only in the very next room. Your soul only feels their absence and doesn't realize the separation is temporary. Souls. Lang leave. L-E-A-V. And Lang... Having a name like Leave when that's such a clingy poem is very funny to me. <clears throat> There's no word in a dictionary for this heat you ignite in my heart. I'm like a furnace in winter bright with fire clad in steel, the hope of seeing you my only fuel. How did you do it? For me, hope has always been a stranger of someone else's errand. Now... Your my hope, my love, and all I desire of the world's treasure, I'll burn today, I'll burn tomorrow. There's no running away, no standing back, no escape from the fire. It has a mind of its own. Set your sun on my face. Touch me, kiss me, lift my soul, and I will meet you in the air. There's No Words by Michael McClintock. And just to be clear, if you're wondering why I nailed that one, because that's the poem that I read tonight that I'm like, oh, I nailed that one reading it. The, po the punctuation is perfect. If you're wondering why I read that with such emphasis, or I fucking could do it that way as a blind read, it's because the poet, the punctuation is amazing. The commas are right there, the question marks, the, the, there's even an ellipsis that is an ellipsis because it wanted me to pause. Like, everything was perfect. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how it's supposed to be, poets. You want me to fucking read it and crack it out for you like I know what I'm supposed to be expressing? You tell me. I'm Ron Burgundy, goddammit. I don't, I can't read your nuance. <laughs> Leaves of grass and fuck you, San Diego. Uh, all right. Was it San Diego? Was it San Francisco? San Diego. <clears throat> uh -uh. 
I thought I was so tough, but gentle at your hands cannot be quick enough to fly for you and show that when I go at your command. Even in flight above, I am no longer free. You sealed me with your love. I am blind to other birds. You habit of your words has hooded me. As formerly I wheel, I hover, and I twist, but only what I feel, in possessive thought of catcher and the caught upon your wrist. You, but half civilize, taming me in this way, though having only eyes for you I fear to lose, I lose to keep and choose tamer as prey. Tamer and Hawk by Tom Gunn, T-H-O-M-G-U-N-N. Uh-oh. I thought you were poetry, but you fucking aren't. Okay, we've got two poems left. If you guys want to get quick quotes in, if we can hold our replies at the live show and go ahead and just go ahead and get those quick quotes in, I would appreciate that very, very much. Okay. Leafy with love, banks and with green waters of the canal, pouring redemption for me that I do. The will of God wallow in the habitual, the banal, growing with nature again, as before I grew. The bright stick trapped, the breeze adding a third party to the couple's kissing on an old seat, and a bird gathering materials for the nest for the word eloquently, new and abandoned to its delicious beat. O unworn world, encapture me, encapture me in a web of fabulous grass and eternal voices by a beach. Feed the gaping need of my senses and give me ad-lib to pray unselfconsciously with overflowing speech. For this soul needs to be honored with a new dress woven and the green and blue things for arguments that cannot be proven. Canal Bank Walk by Patrick Kavanaugh Gosh, hearing the most massive Santa Anas of my life while a church echoes a PA cavalry call because it's 10 o'clock local time while reading poetry about the end of the world? Let me tell you, kind of a spooky feeling. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> two loves I have of comfort and despair, which, like two spirits, do suggest me still the better angel is a man right fair, the worse spirit a woman colored ill. To me, as soon to hell, my female evil tempeth my better angel from my side, and would corrupt my saint to be a devil, wooing his purity with his foul pride. And whether my angel be turned fiend, I suspect I may, yet not directly tell, but being both from me both to each friend. I guess one angel in another's hell, yet... This shall I never know, but live in doubt, till my bad angel fire my good one out. 
Sonnet 144 by Billy Shakes. One I didn't think I was ever going to be asked to read. Of all the 160 <laughs> sonnets, I didn't think that was going to be one of them. 150 sonnets? 160 sonnets. I'm always bad at that kind of thing. All right. As always, the first request is, Good girl. Though it may seem small, your work changes lives. Keep going, baby. Always skirt with no panties, little one. I must have access to what's mine. Lola, my love, what would you do without me? I love how your wrist fits perfectly in my hand, Raven. You're not going anywhere, baby girl. We need to discuss some things in bed. You're always so sweet, baby girl. Now get over here and show daddy how naughty you can be. You're making great progress, Chastity. Keep going, baby girl. I know you like to be in trouble, baby girl, but come here and get some kisses and cuddles. It has been a while, baby girl. Now take off those fucking panties and let daddy show you just what you've been missing. You're doing so well, Sierra. I'm really proud of you. Anybody else before we get on into it? I don't want to wait too long because I did vamp so much at the beginning of the show. Oakley Dokley. <clears throat> Thank you guys, everybody who came out and requested one. Appreciate you all very, very much. If you're a shy girl and you come out next time, it'll be great. I love to say your names. It's the easiest way to get me to acknowledge you without you thinking that I'm actually turning my horrible, magnificent mind right on your visage. I actually think it's very funny that anybody can be intimidated by me, but I get it all the time. And I get that apparently me... Acknowledging your existence with my voice is really powerful, especially if I use your name and you like me, and I don't know who you are. Sorry. Uh, I've learned that. Um, but it did come it did come with time, though. At first, I did not like that. Uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you guys. I still don't. If I'm like... If I say something to somebody and they don't know I'm the Grey Knight, and they're like, oh, your voice, like on the street, especially since it happens a lot more behind surgical masks these days, I'm like really uncomfortable. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Like, just imagine that you're a 10 out of 10 model. Like, whatever model you, supermodel you think is the hottest. Like, we're not going to agree. So just pick her in your head. And so it's like, oh, you look just like, right? And like, they meant it. And you could tell they meant it. It's like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do now that you've said it? Thank you. Fuck you. What do you want? Right? Like, there's just, there's no, there's nothing good about it. And so I, I don't actually like the gasp or anything like that. But I acknowledge that it happens and I'm so focused because I'm a grouchy grouch these days. I'm so focused on trying to give good fan experience no matter what. 
No matter what I do, I'm really just trying to make it good. And so I acknowledge that it can be a little bit much to come out. The server, it's got my name on it. I can be a grouchy grouch. I can be very intense. Uh, I don't get why people are intimidated by me. This is me trying to say I acknowledge that it happens. And I try so hard to remember that you can find me intimidating after the world told me all my life, you're pathetic. Shut up. What are you going to do? It's very weird for that shoe to be on the other foot. Like, wait, I'm the powerful one now? God damn it. Where do we weigh me? I'm so mad. Where's the pinata? (laughs) Okay. Willie. But this isn't porn. It's just the first word, and it just happens to be one for Dick. Willie. It is not a week, but a day that I'm writing you. I had such a wonderful experience last night that I must know at once if you affected you and how. For above all, I don't want to do anything which will take from your work and make working more arduous. That play is going to be a wonderful thing and must come first. Nothing must... Okay, I'm already in love with you. I don't care if you're a man or a woman. I Yes. Yes. Whatever you want from me. Last night, all my household had retired to a quarter at eleven, and I thought I would go to your astrally. It was not working hours for you, and I thought be going for you, I might even be able to leave with you on some of my vitality and energy, which would make working less of a toil the next day. (sighs) I had seen the day before when waking from sleep a curious, somewhat Egyptian form floating over me. Like in the pictures of Blake, the soul leaving the body. It was dressed in moth-like garments and had curious wings edged with gold in which it could fold itself up. I had thought it myself a body in which I could go into the astral at a quarter to eleven last night. I put on this body and thought strongly of you and desired to go to you. We went somewhere in space. I don't know where. I was conscious of starlight and hearing the sea below it. Okay, so this is the drawback to finding a woman that's supportive. Hold on. Okay, I'm starting to see the the other side. Okay. You had taken the form, I think, of a great serpent. But I'm not quite sure. I only saw your face distinctly as I looked into your eyes. As I did the day in Paris, you asked me what I was thinking of. And your lips touched mine. That's a weird snake. We melted into one another till we formed only one being. A being greater than ourselves, who felt all and knew all with double intensity. The clock striking eleven broke the spell as we separated. It felt as if life was being drawn away from me through my chest with an almost physical pain. I went again twice. (laughs) 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 I don't think anyone sense is going to all top out, but that fucking sense alone. I went again twice. Each time it was the same. Each time I was brought back by some slight noise in the house. Then I went upstairs to bed and I dreamed of you confused dreams of ordinary life. 
Whoa, great. We're on dream sequence number two in this fucking letter. Or technically number four. We were in Italy together. <laughs> I think this is from someone in your letter, which I had read again before sleeping. And we were quite happy, and we talked of this wonderful spiritual vision I had described. You said it would tend to increase physical desire. This troubles me a little. For there was nothing physical in that union. Material union is but a pale shadow compared to it. Write to me quickly. <laughs> I showed you my psyche. Please respond. Write to me quickly and tell me you know anything of this and what you could think of it. And if I may come to you again like this, I shall not hear and tell from you my thoughts with you always. And then her name is actually Maud Gone. Maud Gone. I showed you my inner realm and perfect union. Please respond. <laughs> my favorite my favorite part about that now that we've gotten to the end of that wild fucking ride where this dude just gets a letter where he has to read about dreams for four paragraphs and then gets a response on what he has to do next. Oh shit, imagine you're like, okay, so I'm a snake? Okay, baby, so I'm a snake. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Mothman shit was really very freaky. The Egyptian moth wings into the... Uh, the Mothman's been going on for a while, huh? Oh, that's a little weird. God, 1908. Maybe there's some absinthe involved. My favorite part now that we're at the end of it is definitely the fact that she was in this astral plane three times in a row, not fucking this snake, which I get. Because I just got to say, the African magic, by and large, what's called, what's what we call voodoo, but what they called hoodoo, by and large, I mean, there's a lot of beliefs. It's, it's, a, it's a trans-tribal belief. But a lot of it, a lot of hoodoo, it, it originates with a giant white snake. That's the origin of magic in a lot of hoodoo's mythology. A lot of it goes back, a lot of their gree-gree, quote-unquote, Goes back to a giant white snake. So the fact that that had Mothman and a giant snake in it, I'm like, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> Why? What did she? Act, did Mod actually go some fucking? Did Mod actually get some fucking magic and then use it to make a play dope? What was the play? Because if she did that, that's fucking. That is some MVP shit. That's some super fan stuff. <laughs> Holy crap. That's the equivalent of, of purchasing seven Justice League tickets to try and get a sequel. <laughs> Nobody knows what I'm talking about. I'm sorry. Seven for seven. Seven for our seven. <sighs> People are weird. My favorite part is that she got ripped out of the psychological animus in which she was transferring perfect spirit energy by the clock on the wall or some other slight noise. Some other slight noise? You got ripped from the psychic realm in which you were feeding energy. So she also said she went three times in the same way. Did she take the Mothman Express all three times? All three times she drifted off and she looked up and there's the Mothman again. Like, okay, great. Uh, oh, I'm so glad. Sometimes I get Frank. Oh, he does not know what he's doing. He always takes me the long route. 
<laughs> okay. That was the best love letter we've gotten in a long time. Thank you to whoever fuck sent that in. Thank you. The laughter and the commentary is all 100% authentic. I needed that. <laughs> My dear madame, I am sure you are too clear-sighted not to have observed the profound impression by which your amiable qualities, intelligence, and personal attractions have made upon my heart. And, as you have not repelled my attentions nor manifested displeasures when I ventured to hint at the deep interest I felt in your welfare and happiness, I cannot help but hoping that you will receive an explicit expression of my attachments, kindly and favorably. Whew. I wish it were in my power to clothe the feelings I entertain for you in such words as such as should make my pleadings irresistible. But, after all what I could say, more than that you are very dear to me, and I have the most earnest desire in my soul is to have the privilege of calling you my wife? Do you, can you love me? God, ask more questions, dude. You will not, I am certain, keep me in suspense, for you are too good and kind to trifle for a moment with sincerity like mine. Awaiting your answer, I remain with respectful affection and absolutely no punctuation. Ever yours, Francis Templeton. Listen, Francis. <laughs> if you're going to propose by writing something down, maybe the fucking main thrust of it shouldn't be, So I'm writing you just to tell you that I'm writing you about writing you and... You know, while I'm writing you, I was kind of hoping maybe you might marry me. Down on the knee, motherfucker. They like it. Anybody here a Kimbra fan? The artist Kimbra? On just one knee. For now. Oh, it's my favorite lyric of hers. <laughs> That's just so fucking good. That's the lyric that turned me on her. I was like, okay, she's all right. And then, don't just want me for now. I was like, okay, there's something here. You ain't just pop. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, that first album's pretty great. You wouldn't think of me as a guy, a guy who gets down on Cameo Lover, but I know the whole fucking Care Bear dance. I know the whole fucking Care Bear fucking dance. All right. <clears throat> If you haven't seen that video, that's a very confusing reference. They're basically sexualized care bears in the Cameo Lover video by Kimber. Look it up. Okay. I actually don't know what this is. I put it with the love letters. Here we go. Shyness. Is the hallway of presence a doorway to new desire, the first necessary step in the maturation of an unexpected life and arises from the sudden, sometimes unwanted and difficult grounding that undergirds our experience of awe, shyness in the sense of a great unknown suddenly about to be known and suddenly become immensely personal, addressing us as if we might know what it is to say where we put ourselves or in the case of romance, what to wear. 
To feel shy is to look five ways at once, to the beckoning new life in front of us, to the line of retreat behind us, to alternate possibilities of escape to left and right, and in reality, difficult circumstances. The hope for a complete and sudden disappearance. Shyness is the first necessary crossroads on the path of becoming. Shyness is underestimated and neglected and a way of being when the first approaches the new, the necessary, and the overwhelming. Without shyness, our overconfidence precludes us from the appropriate confusion, awkwardness, and helplessness that accompanies the first stage of revelation. Without shyness, we cannot shape an identity ripe for revelation. Our visual media, especially television, tells us that shyness is unnecessary and thus corrupts our sense of what constitute a real exploration. Likewise, in our virtual travels, we rarely meet many beautiful representations of shyness through social media, but physical shyness tells us through our very vulnerability that we are at last in the presence of the mystery, of something, some place, or someone who deeply desire, or that represents what we desire. Though we do not, as of yet, in our essential physical helplessness, know how to bring it about. Shyness is the exquisite and the vulnerable frontier between what we think is possible and what we think we deserve. Without shyness, it is not possible to apprehend the new. Total confidence at the beginning of the new phase of life means we are misinformed, that we are deeply mistaken, that we think we know what it is about to occur and who we are about to become. Shyness is an inevitable to a particular form of beauty, to qualities that are meant to be practiced and cultivated. Shyness is our friend. The annunciation that we are just about to walk through the door and through all the difficulties make a true beginning. I see somebody really likes this person. Shyness, David White. That's W-H-Y-T-E. Okay. <clears throat> Well, I rocked the reading of a couple of things out tonight, and that feels really, really good. So uh, one quick tip jar. Uh, I promise I won't be asking for tips nearly as much going on uh, forward. Thank you to everybody who tipped for the uh, birthday show. Thank you to everybody who tipped tonight. Really and deeply appreciate it. Uh, you got to take the wins where you can. And I guess the big win in 2020 is I can I can really... Belt it out, you know? Uh, I can really read and record these days, and it feels really good and not challenging at all. I would have been pretty drained at this point, uh, especially since it's so fucking hot here. I would have been pretty drained at this point, uh, and I just feel like I'm firing on all cylinders still. Like, I, I could dance for a while yet, and I don't have this every week or week after week. Uh, but I've been doing a lot of stuff. It's been very stressful uh, in, in my life, personal stuff going on. And just performance-wise, I feel great. I feel like I'm becoming the performer I always should have been, except my experience made me this. I'm going to get just a little bit political. I kind of skipped this when I did the beginning. But as who I'm starting to feel like, this is going to offend the shit out of some of you, but I feel like actual liberal Jon Stewart. That's who, I, that's who I'm starting to feel like. Because he's kind of a bastard offstage. 
And I'm not nearly as much of a bastard as he is offstage. Like, at all. I don't think. The stories I've heard... I, I, I have trouble with people and romantic feelings and feelings of friendship. But, like, even personally, I hear that that dude's just been a viper. But beyond that, Jon Stewart's kind of always been a fucking Republican. Like, he pretty much always has. I, I hate to tell you. Like, he yells at Republicans more than Democrats in the exact same fucking way that I do. But, like, he doesn't... He doesn't... He's... Uh, John Stewart's famous for caring about a few people's health care. They were firefighters in the city that he lived in through 9-11. Thanks, John. But just like my point about fucking... <laughs> okay, child sex trafficking is awful. Can we can we just get the those first two words off there and still keep the trap? No, we can't? It's only specific... Okay, great. Well, you're, you obviously deeply believe this. It's kind of the same thing. These days, I'm starting to feel like... I don't have the material and I don't have the budget, obviously. But I'm legitimately starting to feel like my idols in comedy. I'm starting to feel like my idols in performing. I'm starting to feel... Especially watching so many podcasts and so many media productions at home and watching how they flub with all the fucking money and the uh, writing staff and everything that's doing it. They essentially are doing what I'm doing at these live shows. And yeah, this is the punk rock, crazy boudoir version. But it's legitimately starting to feel amazing. I'm starting to feel really, really good about it. The comedy aspects of it, the personal aspects of it. I'm getting hazed, and I'm not responding, nor do I want to anymore. I feel like if I ever get hazed at a like an actual live show, a stage show, uh, I'm going to be able to handle it so well. All I want to do is just ace the person who's 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 razzing me, who's hazing. What's the word? There's an actual word for this when somebody interrupts a live show, and I can't think of it. Razzing, hazing, interrupt, heckling. Oh my god, thank you. It just wasn't coming. Uh, all those other words were just stuck in it. I I legitimately I get heckled a little bit while I'm doing these, and I don't freak out or shut down, and I just kind of raise my middle finger and keep going. And now I don't even raise my middle finger. I'm starting to feel like an actual showman. I'm starting to feel like this is, this is it. And I've been pouring myself more and more into it. How did that manifest? What happens next? Fuck me. I spent the whole first hour rambling about crazy conspiracies and people's psyches. I have no idea what's coming next. I don't know. But it's not just my voice that's feeling better. It's not just me putting up pictures because I'm feeling kind of sexy for a little bit. I can be real down and out these days. And not only do I always get out of bed, and not only do I have an okay word for myself or an okay uh, process tree for the day, whether it be goof off or be productive, not only do I have all that working most days, most days I want to be a showman. It's becoming a part of my identity. I want to take the show on the road, and I want to entertain more people. And I want to melt women. I do. I want to just melt you from the inside out. I want to turn you on so much in person. I want to sing real pretty right in your pretty little faces. And I want to make you die. And that really does keep me going. Really is moving me forward. Uh, Nightlight Tonight... 
where I'm just the full shebang going out there and I can actually perform like I have been. Thank you. Uh, we don't have a lot of smut, so that's the end of the vamping. Here we go. Feeling the carpet dig into her knees has always felt right. Kneeling for her sir has become every desire she has ever known encompassed into one. Her play collar and blindfold feel like the warm embrace of old friends, placing on the nipple clamps and leather cuffs that Sir had laid out further. The session places her further into subspace and to serve him. She waits, listens, and caves to hear her Sir enter the room. The excitement of his dominance creates a thin layer of sweat over her entire body. The sense of him as he enters the room makes her wet and wanting to serve him in every way completely. She feels his presence in front of her and her mouth begins to salivate to taste his hard cock within her mouth. He finally speaks asking, who owns this dirty little whore? And she responds without pause, you, sir, own this dirty little whore completely. She feels him get closer, and instinctively her mouth opens to take his long, hard cock down her throat. She knows this is an honor, a privilege to suck him, taste him, and crave him to do it again. Sir commands her into position one. She's trained to know to immediately bend over the playroom bed, legs spread wide, cuffed wrists above her head. He sleeps behind her and lands a perfectly placed spank of her ass. A submissive shudder travels through her entire body as she can feel his dominance radiate off of him. The spanking continue one hand after the next, both cheeks getting red, hot, and feeling alive. He pauses and picks up the flogger, the one he knows she loves. The one that thumps hard on her wanting ass, thighs, and pussy. He begins flogging her harder and harder, the pain beginning to grow both inside and on in her soon bruised skin. In his perfectly dominant way, she feels the next thump of the flogger, and he immediately informs her that she will be getting a series of hard stings with the viper's tongue. She jumps involuntarily with each hit. Her ass, her inner thighs, and her clit get strung hard with every blow. Sir knows her body, her needs, and immediately commands her into Position three. She flips over to her back on the bed, cuffed arms above her head, and legs spread eagle for his every use and desire. She waits quietly, listening, hearing her beloved dominant picking up different items. He's laid out all of them for her pleasure. She can feel him between her legs as he slides the perfect-sized glass dildo deep into her wanting ass. His fingers slide deep into her pussy as he spreads her opened into her. With his fist thrust inside, he also takes the glass dildo and fucks her hard. Her submissive body shudders in pleasure she has never known. Her body building an orgasm that will make her scream in pleasure provided only by his dominance. She begs to come while being double penetrated by his complete and total control. But he instructs her to hold it. 
to hold it in until she can't anymore, and the scream of the orgasm, and she and his whole asshole that he owns completely. She holds on as long as she can and explodes, screaming her sir's command that she is his whole asshole almost completely and entirely. Feeling her entire body shake in pure ecstasy as she squirts and orgasms harder than she ever has before. Her body used, pleased, and dominated completely. She begs to be allowed to taste her sir's orgasm in her mouth, to have the honor to get him off and be given that which is so important to her, to know that she properly pleased him during their session. Position five is instructed of her. She lays lengthwise across the bed, her head face up lying on the edge. She opens wide to take him deep down her throat, feeling him fuck her face continuously deeper and harder. Sir pulls out and begins to flog and slap her tits as he positions above her to suck his balls reverently and tongue his asshole with vigor. Just then, he repositions himself and plunges all the way down her throat and comes, hard, pumping every drop into her mouth as she swallows and savors everything he has given her. He then collects her into his arms. He comforts her mouth, her body, her soul until the session ends and knows that as soon as he leaves, she will crave his domination every more until she kneels before him again. He knows she is submissive to him completely. He knows he owns her. She knows she will kneel reverently before him again. And that fulfills everything she is. <clears throat> Kneeling before Sir, untitled. Oh, sorry, unauthored. <clears throat> Okay, guys, it's the last piece of the night, and it's a hot summer night, so it fits for me. Hope you've had a good show, and I hope you enjoy this. Five hot summer nights, I followed Mr. Sands in and out of clubs and bars in Soho. His hair was perfect. Sometimes it took him the better part of the night to pick up a woman, though he could have had his choice. Sometimes he found the one he wanted in the very first bar. There was no pattern, no rhyme, no reason, or no similarity that I could see in his choices. He never took them home. He never told them his name. He never fucked them, but he always made them come. Their response was unanimously a mix of ecstatic release and surprise, as though they hadn't expected it. He took them in alleys and stairwells and once on a crowded dance floor. It was always quick, always intense, and always felt a bit dangerous. He didn't mind if the women bit or clawed or howled like wolves. They always came, but Mr. Sands never did. I wondered if he practiced some form of Eastern discipline that enhanced male pleasure through refraining from ejaculation. I'm a P.I., and monitoring Mr. Sands's nightly wonderings is my job. The woman who hired me to tell him isn't his ex or a psycho lover. She claims she's never met the man, but hey, everyone's kink is different. If she gets off on my reports, then who am I to judge, as long as she pays me? 
and she pays me well. In fact, she sent me up on a posh flat with a view across the street, right in Mr. Mr. Pan's, Mr. Sands's posh flat, though it hadn't helped much. He keeps his curtains drawn. Every night Mr. Sands goes out at exactly 10 p.m., and every night I follow him. Every night I watch his women flirt and eyeball him longingly until he finally makes his choice. Some nights he wines and dines the lucky girls. Some nights he simply takes her hand and leads her off to do the deed. Last night, his choice was a porcelain-skinned woman with ginger hair. He led her from the bar without so much as a word. She was breathless, wide-eyed, her full breast bouncing in her scantily bronzed dress. And she struggled to keep up with him in her stilettos, and she was none too steady on. I could almost feel the sense of urgency that might have been hers, might have been his. The dress was tight enough that the lack of panties was evident, but Mr. Sands didn't seem interested in fashion or conventional beauty. He pressed her up against a small loading dock in the alley, taking her mouth as though she were his favorite dish, slapping her hands away from his fly, even though I could see his bulge through my binoculars. There, beneath the streetlight, he freed her breasts into his hands, thumbing and raking peach gumdrop nipples. She sounded like a kitten purring as he scrunched her dress until her vulva was as bare as her breast. She gave a little yelp as he hoisted her up onto the loading dock and palmed her thighs wide apart, forcing her back onto her elbows. Once one shoe dropped to the pavement with a muted thud, as his cupped hands behind her knees pulled her closer to his face. Then he fingered her, studied her, caressed her as though he had never seen a pussy before. All the while, she moaned and whimpered and squirmed against the hard concrete. Please, she begged, please. But he ignored her keening. When at last he spoke, his voice was velvet against bare skin. You've been pretending, but you don't need it for me. Then he buried his face between her thighs, and she bucked and gyrated against him, tugging and pulling at her breasts. Once again, he slapped her hands away and reached up to knead her, almost as though he were raising his arms in an act of worship. He pinched and thumbed her while never slacking in his efforts between her thighs. Her cries became guttural, like he'd awakened something feral in her, something that could now no longer be caged. He slid his hands down to cup her bum and drew her closer, as though he might crawl up inside her right next to that thing he'd awakened. She came up with an animal howl and sent shivers down my spines and made the view from my binoculars shudder the hammering of my pulse. At last he pulled away and wiped his face on the back of his arm. Then he mantled her close, covering her lips with kisses. She all but sobbed into his mouth. Finally, she spoke in little gasps of effort. I've never had an orgasm before. I know, is all he says. And he bent down to retrieve her shoe and gently slip it onto her foot. I stood in shock at her revelation, at his, the woman had never had an orgasm before? Did he choose his women that way? But then, how the hell would he know? I was so lost in my speculations that I had to scramble back into an alcove in front of a service entrance to keep from being seen by Mr. Sands, escorting her back to the bar. And just like that, 
It was over. I knew the drill by now. The woman would return to her friends with a smile on her face, and now Mr. Sands would go home. I followed him, as I always did, and took the lift to my flat. Inside, I stripped to vest and knickers, wilted from the relentless heat. It was one of those few summer days each year where it hadn't cooled down much at night. I poured myself a chilled glass of shard, usually unwinding from a night of tailing Mr. Sands meant a little hands-on, a little vibrator, but there was something about our nightly rendezvous that gave me an urge to touch myself. Maybe the total lack of penetrative sex in those steamy encounters made me empathetic. My last task every workday was to open my curtains and make sure Mr. Sands was at home. He always was. Though his curtains were perpetually drawn, I could make out the simmon glow of lamplight inside. Occasionally, I could see the shadow of movement back and forth beyond the drawn drapes. That was my cue for some me time. As I fantasized about what he did after he came home late at night, unsatisfied. With wine glass in hand in my mind and my night's intriguing discoveries, the curtain was completely open before I turned to find that Mr. Sands, for once, had followed suit. He stood right away at me. He stood looking right at me, wearing only gray track bottoms slung low around his hips, his chest glistening from the heat. I froze, gaping, as he slipped a whiskey, as he sipped a whiskey and brazenly looked me up and down, I'd been compromised. My client had warned me to make sure he never saw me, but I was confident, maybe a little arrogant. I was good at my job. I should have shut the curtains and left. I should have stood there, but I just stood there like a rabbit in the headlights, my nipples stiffening beneath my vest, as surely as if he stroked them, as he had the redheads. The quirk of his lips, the trailing of his gaze over my body sent shock waves of heat, core, deep. The clench between my thighs, the subtle shifting of my hips wouldn't have been noticeable by anyone. Hell, I could make myself come on a crowded bus and no one was the wiser. But he knew. I was certain. I raised my glass for a much-needed drink of miscalculated, dribbling wine across a distended nipple. His gaze was not subtle as he nodded to my breast. I knew exactly what he wanted. Slowly, I lifted the glass and drizzled the shard across my breast, all of it gasping at the chill, biting my lip, closing my eyes just long enough to savor the sensation. When I opened them, he slid a hand inside the front of his track bottom. It wasn't difficult to tell that he was hard, nor that he was substantial. I took in the shape of him as brazenly as he had me, giving my own little nod, but he only shook his head and raised an eyebrow, making it clear that it was tit for tat. Caught in his gaze, I could scarcely breathe. I could scarcely believe this was risk I was willing to take at all. He knew where I was. He knew what I'd done. And yet I lifted my wet vest over my head, the A.C. tightening my nipples still further as he watched. I slid a hand into my knickers, mirroring his movements. I fingered my way down between my thighs, gasping at the slick swell of me. His own stroking has exposed the base of his cock in a nest of dark curls, my mouth watered. I nod again, wanting to see that tool that he'd kept hitting all those nights, desperate to see him lose that cast iron control. He gulped the rest of the whiskey and set the glass aside. Then, 
He slid the other hand beneath the waistband to scoop up curls of his sack, and I moaned my approval at his efforts, revealed just a little more, and then... It was a standoff, neither of us blinking, neither of us flinching. We rubbed and stroked and flaunted ourselves, each in an effort to will the other into the final reveal. He shifted and pumped and moved in such a way that I could make out almost every detail of his heavy package from beneath the tees of the fabric. The lust in his eyes was laced with something slightly wicked, strange. I never realized fear could be such a turn-on. I wanted to run and hide, even as I wanted him to fuck me with his eyes. I pulled my fingers from my knickers and raised them to my mouth, giving him a hungry stare as I tasted my own slickness. Then I sucked. He bit his lips, and his body jerked. For a whole moment, I thought he'd come without me, but he took a deep breath and nodded. It was time. I slid my thumb into the edge of my knickers, and with one hand, counted down two. Three, three, two, one. We both dropped our drawers, and after that, things got serious. He stepped closer to the window, and as close as he could get to me, one hand cupped, the other stroked and tugged the heavy length of him, as though it was seriously in need of taming. Without looking away, I reached behind me and pulled a chair close. I plopped down, splaying my legs over my arms so that he could see my efforts, fingers darting and circling, dripping and scissoring, bum raised high to give him a better view. The look on his face was utter concentration. I imagine mine was the same as his orgasm burst into heavy spurts across the window pane. I convulsed my own release, nearly upsetting the chair. Afterwards, we just stared at each other, still cupping ourselves, too stunned to think too spent to move. But at last he bent, pulled up his track bottoms, and tucked his cock. He studied me for a moment longer, the hunger in his eyes making me squirm in that place between arousal and fear. Then he waved his finger at me as though I had been a naughty girl. Finally, he blew me a kiss and drew the curtains. The next morning, to my relief and disappointment, Mr. Sands was gone. But I'll track him down. He has secrets I want, and it's my job, after all, and I'm good at what I do. In Pursuit of Mr. Sands by K.D. Grace. That's K as in the letter, D as in the letter, Grace. That was very good, and what a great way to end it on as a voyeur myself put myself out there for you girls to look through my curtains. And one day I hope to turn you on just as much. Girls, thank you. It was a great show. Got a lot of my feelings gone, dawn out. I meant what I said. Feeling more of a showman all the time, and this is some form of self-love and discipline and project, all the rest. Tell your friends, tell the robots that you liked it. If you listened all the way through, you fucking love me with all the rambling and everything else that I did. Tell the robots, hit the like, hit the reshare, hit the reblog, all of it. Tell everybody when it does come across your dash, because I know you had a good time. Thank you very much. I hope to hear you next week. I hope to see you next week at the live show. 
really miss doing these. Thank you guys for being so supportive, so encouraging, all the requests. I tried to read every last thing I got today. If I missed something, it was an error. Had the energy, had the ability. We'll be here again for it next week. Thank you guys. Goodbye. <laughs>